Well, hello, and welcome to episode nine of Making Sparkles, a podcast about the making of the musical Sparkle Pony Bear. I am your host, the forever indebted composer, writer, producer, TC Crosser. It's been it's been alright so far, hadn't it, kids? Uh, we left off last time. Um, I completely threw and regutted the opening title track, and then in that process and kind of creating my rack mounts and my sounds and and retooling what I wanted to say, what I wanted to do, kind of veered Sparkle Pony Bear more into a concept album. And I know, not from anyone that's listened to this podcast, but I know having kind of shared that with some of my colleagues, um, the reception's been good. It's been positive. Everyone's really been digging it. Um, I do think it's really important to kind of note, this will still be some form of performance piece. It's still going to be a show. Um, I just felt that I was getting a little bogged down with the elements of it being a show. And because of that, I'm really just focusing on the music and allowing the songs that I write... And, and the things that I put in place musically to kind of dictate the progression of what I want to do when I actually get around to a script. So think of it like this. Think of it like first half of podcast episodes for Sparkle Pony Bear are all going to be about writing the songs and the character development within the songs. And then the second half, um, wait, you know, maybe, maybe tomorrow, <laughs> later down the road, that's going to be more about the writing, like taking everything we've already done. Um, I've been working with the amazing Roy Flores. Uh, he's, he's, you're hearing him on the title tracks. Uh, yeah, I think that's kind of, that, that brings you up to speed a little bit. Um, again, soundcloud.com slash TC Crosser. T-C-C-R-O-S-S-E-R. Go ahead. I'm going to let you go back. You go back. You listen to all the tracks. You you make those decisions. Um, so housekeeping notes. Let's see what's been going on. Um, there has been some interest in the, in the Infinite script that I'm still developing <laughs> from a couple of theater companies. Um, one I actually reached out to and a couple that actually reached out to me. Um, so because of that, a lot of my time has been kind of like, <laughs> I, I, and, and, and all this will make sense, but, uh, so and the infinite is a show that I've written, um, and I'm currently rewriting the script for, uh, just to kind of round it out kind of add a couple elements. Um, I actually have a meeting tomorrow night with uh, the amazing Meredith Nikolev, who is kind of my writing, producing, collaborative partner. She's just an all-around badass human being. Um, I'm actually meeting with her tomorrow night to discuss In the Infinite and the, the new rewrite of the script we're doing. So I've been preparing for that. And then the theater companies have had like loads of questions I've been having to answer um so so in that I'm gonna break that out in a, like after my update because I think that part of the process of writing a show regardless of where you're at with writing it there's a whole other kind of like 
game of rhetoric when you're selling this to other people. And it's also like, who are you selling this to? And what are you trying to do with it? I'm going to cover that in a little bit. That's like a fun topic, so I can kind of cover that. Um, I'm working on a graphic novel right now. It's more interactive. Um, I actually, for fun, when I have time, uh, I like little animation things. I can do little animation things in After Effects. And I kind of came up with this really trippy kind of infinite universe, dark comedy script called, uh, it's called The, the Quixotic. Um, kind of like Californication meets the TV show Fringe. Um, and that's been, that's been a fun process. But I find that working with illustrators is kind of like working with singers. They've always got 500 projects going on, so it's kind of like you put everything out there, you give them the tools they need, and then you just wait. And then the minute they come back with you, you have to be on your A game and you have to be immediately answering or else you're going to lose their attention. That's been a new process for me. That's been exciting. Um, let's see here. Judy does Black Sabbath. Uh, <clears throat> one of the two main singers. So we've got two singers. The person playing Judy Garland <laughs> is Leanne Bregazi. Um She's an artist I've been working with for well over a decade now. Um, she's bi-coastal. She performs both in San Francisco, where her home is, and in New York City, where she has an apartment, and she also performs. I guess that was a redundant statement. But um, she comes back on later on this week, so I'm very excited to kind of meet with her um, and kind of like iron out a couple of things and and hopefully get Judy Does Black Sabbath back up to a point where we can at least start projecting a performance date, which would then in turn mean that I have a lot of work to do as far as arranging all these hair metal band songs for Judy Garland and Leah Olson, who will be playing Barbara Streisand. Um, there, <laughs> Meredith Nikolov, again, um, from In the Infinite, she's actually assisting me. Um, she's gonna be directing the show. So we've been coming up with some pretty fucking off the wall ideas. One including the the ghost of Dionne Warwick, who we know is not dead yet, but the ghost of Dionne Warwick <laughs> shows up and has a seance to remove the possession of Judy Garland from within Barbara Streisand. The show's gonna be fun, it's gonna be nuts, but so so those are kind of the my major children that have been investing a lot of my time. There was another project I've been slowly developing that's kind of an it's an interactive musical based entirely using Instagram videos. Um, that is that's kind of on the back burner. I realize that I have enough projects in my life with enough people that are depending on me and I'm depending on. Um, so, th so that's that's the update. That is the overall update of all of the projects I am currently working on. So let's get right into it. Let, let's start with talking about pitching your project to other theater companies. Yeah, the thing I like about this podcast <laughs> is it allows me to procrastinate on what I actually should be doing. Well, I think it's important to have a podcast. But, um, so, pitching to theater companies. This is just kind of, you know, it, it could be a bit of a crapshoot. I'm going to be f completely fucking honest with you. Um, 
my attitude and demeanor towards this process changes constantly. And it usually changes depending on whether anyone's interested in what I have to offer. Um, so you have a couple of routes to do this, right? Let's, let's take it back, right? You've written a show or, you know, let's take it back even further. In my examples, in, in the course of my life, generally what happens is I don't actually finish a project. I get, I get as far as I think I can get, um, whether it be I've gotten as far as I can without a particular level of talent, like a singer or something, so I can actually hear it and, and fill it out. Um, I've gotten to a certain point where I've written a bunch of stuff, but I don't know how it looks or I don't know how it's going to sound. So, so, so usually when I'm pitching and I'm kind of like trying to get other people interested, um, typically the theater company route is, is the you know easiest route because they literally are a theater company. Um, so usually a lot of my sending out to them, if I'm sending it to them, is always with the preface, this is what I have so far. With, with no resources, just on my own, this is what I was able to create. With your support, this is ideally what we could create. Um, I, and that, look, for better or worse, because as I'm explaining this out, I'm sure there's a couple of theater company people out there going, no, 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 no. We, you know, mainly theater companies, they kind of, they have, it's a catch-22, right? They need to do new, more cutting-edge work so that they can get the street cred, but at the same time, they need to put butts in seats. So it, it really depends. Like, it's a finance thing, right? If if their donor base, if the people that are paying money, like uh, there's a theater company in D.C. that's, like, completely subscription-based. The only way to get a ticket is by subscribing to their, their roster of shows. With that type of environment the donors and the people going have a much, they're, they're, it's, they dictate what it is the artistic director who runs the theater company is going to select for various things. Super political, super complicated. So when you as a composer are coming in with a project and you're reaching out to these theater companies, you have to realize they're, they're already manic. They've got countless meetings with donors with benefactors they're also trying to put the shows together generally an artistic director will direct at least three or two or three shows in the season as kind of their flagship projects um and and because of that the theaters have responded in kind by doing a subset of projects that are workshops Larger dogs like La Jolla Playhouse, Old Globe, they will pay to workshop a piece, and it may not even be within their theater. Like, they may workshop a piece in New York where La Jolla and and Old Globe are both based in San Diego. But what they're doing is they're testing out material because the bigger theaters, what they want to do is they want to test it out somewhere else, see what's going on with it, kind of nurture it, if the workshop goes well, then they're going to mount it on their main stage. But for the explicit reason of putting it on Broadway, 
Um, and that's how the big dogs work. In the in the smaller, the more regional theaters, their approach is different, right? Their approach is just putting on the show to get awards and to get butts in seats. Because the more awards you win, the more butts in seats you get because people will be going to the shows regardless of the title and more for the theater cachet. Again, I'm speaking in very broad strokes, as I always do. So... Well, that's kind of the basics. So, so you're a composer, and you're trying to submit your stuff, but also realize that there's hundreds of other composers also trying to submit their stuff. And at the same time, these theater companies have also responded to this by having very rigid requirements for submission. Um, if you ever want to see the most fucked up, long-winded, oh my God, shoot you in the face submission process. It's the New York Musical Theater Festival that they have every year out here in New York. Um, I've only ever submitted once, and it was enough to teach me never to do that again. It, they have, the, the, I'm not fucking kidding you, they have an hour and a half YouTube video dedicated to just showing a composer how to submit their project. And the issue is once you actually get there, the requirements of what they want, the requirements of what what they you need in order to even be considered, you basically have to have the full show already like lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. And you're paying like a $75 fee where, you know, and I think that's kind of fucked up because it's like, as a composer, we're not making a ton of money. So $75 to us, that's like, three packs of cigarettes in New York City right there. Or, well, maybe four. Depends on where you go. <laughs> Some of the bodegas in Harlem, they, they get their cigarettes from North Carolina, and so it's like eight bucks a pack. And But those are hard to find. You got to be in like a whole fucking buddy system. I remember one bodega guy, I had to like give him free weed for the month. Like I'd give him like a bit of weed for a month, and then he would only charge me like eight bucks for a pack of cigarettes because they came from somewhere else. It's a whole, yeah, anyway. Um, so $75 is a lot of money to me. But you, it is, I would, if you are seriously thinking about pitching and sharing what you're doing, I would look at the New York Musical Theater festival's guidelines and look at the hour and a half youtube clip because to me that's kind of like that's that's the gold standard right if you had everything on that list and it's a lot i mean everything from character breakdown synopsis you have to have full scores already completely done you have to have at least i think it's 80 percent of your songs in demo format that they can hear. Um, the files have to be formatted at a very specific way. I mean, it, it is insane. You need letters of recommendation. Um, I always kind of thought if I ever, and I, I did submit, I did submit to them with those criteria and it didn't go anywhere. Um, and I didn't really get a response, so I don't even know if there was a critique on it or if I was missing something, which is another thing that's just, oh, just oh. It was exhausting. But again, good to look at because you kind of see what, you know, what theater companies are expecting. Um, so if you're going to go to a bigger dog, most of them will always say um, they won't accept solicited, unsolicited material, which means they either have to have discovered you somehow and then ask you to submit something 
or you need an agent. And if you're listening to this podcast, let's be fucking real. You don't have an agent or a manager. <laughs> if you have an agent or a manager, you're fine. There's no reason to listen to me ramble on and prattle on like a ditzy queen. Like, like let's be real. Um, so, so yeah, I, I've run into issues like that. Um, the bigger theater companies, they're all going to be kind of basically the same because at the end of the day, they've got a sea of submissions. Um, you know, it was funny because when I broke into all of this like a couple years ago, it reminded me a lot of starting out as a musician. Um, <laughs> I was in a instrumental punk band called the Little Man T Orchestra back in San Diego. <laughs> no shit uh yeah back when i had hot pink hair and piercings everywhere there are pictures um and what i found because this was kind of like at the end of the the geffen era of recording so this is back when you still had anr reps with lots of money and upfront advances um you know i had a couple buddies that were anr reps and they used to always joke they're like you know for every one elliot smith you've got 500 bullshit like fucking blink 182s you have to listen to so so from the a and r perspective it was always a matter of there's just too much out there to really find what you need um and i i kind of feel like with theater companies it's the same thing they're getting inundated with everyone from like very well established writers all the way to people that just like woke up got on a Casio keyboard and recorded on audio tape their show. Marsha Baltimore and Making of the Mistress, another show I will not admit to again. <laughs> um, so so usually my approach is the more personable approach. Um, I grew up on a farm in Iowa, so it's very, and you know, as I've dived into the Sparkle Pony Bear material, um, I'm very used to having people with egos and authority, like, yelling at me. So, so usually I, I combat it with just kill them with kindness. Be really nice. Be like, hey, I'm sorry to waste your time. Yeah, I wouldn't literally say that, but I'm paraphrasing. You know, you're like, hey, thank you so much for this. Here's what I'm doing. This is where I'm at. I would love for you just... Usually what I like to say is, I would love for you to just take the, op- you know, I would love for you to have the opportunity to just see this, right? You're not telling them, I have to have this on your main stage. And you're not even saying, I want this to be a workshop, because that's a bit presumptuous, right? All you're doing is you're going, hey, here's what I have. I've got something. If you like it, let's keep talking. And if you don't like it, then thank you for your time, you know. And maybe if you're lucky, they'll even give you some pointers. Um, and, and so, so, and then it also kind of falls into you have to be strategic, right? So usually, what I've been trying to do lately is be regionally strategic. So I look at like the Seattle area, and I look at all the theater companies in Seattle, and I kind of put them in these buckets, right? super small like community theater driven all the way to like mega like you know huge putting stuff on you know doing broadway show material right and and so now i've got these kind of and then there's that in the middle just basic regional theater so you have these three buckets um and you don't want to submit 
to two theaters of the same bucket within the same region because they all talk to each other. So if you're submitting and you submit to two regional theaters in the same region, there's a very good chance that through the water cooler talk, and it's not gonna be the artistic directors, but remember, artistic directors have staff, they have assistants, they have managers, they have readers, and those people usually, because the pay is such shit, um, you know, which I think that's where anyone that works in theater can raise the roof and go, fuck yeah, get paid shit. Um, they have multiple gigs. So they are working at the other regional theater. They are talking to those people. They are going out to drinks. You know, they're going to opening galas at other companies. So, so if you're submitting, so there's two issues to this, right? You're submitting to two people at the same time, the likelihood that those two people in the Seattle area, as my example, are going to be talking is extremely high. So that already kind of sets up a bad precedent because now they're like, oh, so this, so we're not special. You're just submitting to everyone you know. Um, the other problem is then you get into, did you just copy and paste the same response to multiple theater companies? And I will be the first to admit I've done this many times especially back when I was drinking. So, so you have to also realize that, right? So then let's even say that you, you have this personalized message, but you copy and paste it to the two theater companies that are in the same area. They start talking like, oh yeah, yeah, he submitted to us. He told us this really quirky story about this, this, and this. And then the other person goes, oh my God, yeah, he told me the same exact story. Now you're no longer special. And if you're no longer special, the likelihood they're gonna keep pursuing you is very unlikely. They're probably not even gonna, they won't do anything. They'll be like, fuck you, right? Because theater companies themselves are kind of like children. They're, they're just like musicians or actors or anyone. They're, you know, these are human beings that all we want to do is feel special. We want people to know that our work means something, that our dedication means something, and that we're being appreciated. I totally get that. So, so these are, those are, that's like a rookie mistake I've made that I've kind of stopped doing. Um, the other thing is you can find submissions, you know, people that are looking for musicals. Here's my issue with that. Usually they want you to pay a fee to submit to them, which I think is bullshit. I think that it's just utter garbage. Even if it's a competition where they're like, oh, well, we're, we're collecting this fee for processing your submission, but we, the grand winner gets like 50% of whatever everyone pulls in. It's a Ponzi scheme. Don't, I know it sounds really cool, and I know it sounds like, oh, it's a competition. It's like the lottery, but it is like the lottery. The likelihood you're going to get it is so low. Um, I submitted to those types of competitions constantly. I, I've submitted to places where they were accepting submissions for a fee. I, I'm just gonna tell you right now, don't do it. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I know plenty of colleagues in theater and I've never heard of a single one of them actually getting it. And usually the winners that they pick are people that were already friends with the theater company or had been volunteering and working with them. And that kind of leads to the next thing, right? So you have to get yourself out there, right? So, so let's say we have a scenario where we have theater companies. We're not going to go through the normal, oh, they, they're accepting submissions for a fee. 
Um, we're not going to go the festival route necessarily because that requires way, way too much work for what we're capable of doing. Um, we don't want to submit to multiple theaters of the same ilk um, in the same region. And we don't want to copy and paste the same message that we're using for all the theater companies. Every message has to be unique and special to them, um, which means you have to do your research. Uh, you know, research, what, what is this theater company doing? Because one of the first questions they're going to ask is, well, how does your work tie in with our vision? Our, every theater company that's nonprofit has to have a mission statement, right? So if you're submitting to Diversionary Theater in San Diego, which is an LGBT-based theater organization, but you've written a rompous straight rom-com, <laughs> They're not going to take it because it doesn't fit. It could be the most brilliantly crafted thing in the world. You know, you could be the next Tom Stoppard, but if you don't fit their mission statement, they can't, they're not going to put it on. I mean, I don't even know if it is that they could or not. It's just they're not going to do it. They're just, forget it. Um, so, yeah, this kind of leaves you in a quagmire. Um, so, with one submission I just sent out to, Okay, so let's talk. So you're, you're, you're probably asking yourself, well, where the fuck do I find these theaters? So Google, Google is your friend. Word of mouth is your friend. Um, if this is, you know, I, I prefer smaller theater companies. I prefer, I prefer more limber theater companies that are more prone to doing more experimental work. Um, but that's just because of how I write in my style, but also because the smaller company will not write you a check. The smaller company is not gonna pay for your expenses, but what they do compensate for is artistic license. Um, generally, if you find some really cool smaller theater companies, they really wanna push the limits because the only way they're gonna get more butts and seats, which in turn pays for everything, is by doing provocative work, by doing things that are cutting edge, so that way their donor base is more likely to pay for the lower subscription fee than the big dog theater companies because they're seeing something unique, something that hasn't been done. And the audience is already knowing that this is gonna be a little rough around the edges. So it kind of takes a lot of steam off of you. Because <laughs> you're like, ah, you know, even if I gotta half-ass that one song, Everyone's already expecting this to be a little bit like rough. So so I would, in my Google searching, you know, you start with the generic theater. You start with the, re always start with the region. Um, you know, I live in New York. That doesn't mean I want all my work to be produced in New York. Um, I think that's kind of a misnomer. I think that having your projects kind of spread out um, and be strategic about it, right? If you're, if you're working, you should be working on multiple projects because that's the way the world works. So if you're working on multiple projects, pick one or two of them that you want to stick with where you live, whether LA, New York, Seattle, wherever. Like one or two of those, it's like, okay, this is the one I need to always be on site for, so this is the one I'm keeping. Then have other projects that you don't, it's okay to have them go somewhere else. Those are the, pro you know, and the infinite is kind of this unique beast because I've already written the show, I've written the music, but I have an entire writer of amendments and additions and things I want to do with the show if I can get a theater company to support it. And, and when a theater company supports you, really what you're looking for is kind of the administrative back end, 
um, an actual space to perform it, and some advertising and marketing. And then through that, then they can kind of figure out a map with you what they can and can't provide as far as musicians, you know, budgets, right? Budgets, all musicals are insanely expensive to produce, but if you were the owner of that musical, at least they've cut a huge chunk of their budget out. Because remember, like renting scores, getting licensing fees, um, all, just to do an already done musical is very, very expensive. Tens of thousands of dollars. So if you can go to a theater company, go like, I've already written a show. This is what it is. And you don't have to pay for rental fees or anything like that. Now you've, you've freed them up, right? Now they have a budget to do something to make the project what you want it to be. Um, and so usually that's where I kind of like, that's, that's where I'm at. So within the infinite... What I did was um, there was one smaller theater company that a friend of mine in the Seattle area, so I'm using Seattle as an example because I'm not that original, which is probably why they don't want to work with me. I'm <laughs> just throwing that out there. Um, but no, my, my buddy Michael um, lives in Seattle. He told me about this small theater company that's doing some pretty edgy stuff. And he was like, hey, can you please just submit to them? So sure. So I submitted. Um, and I got a response, like, with, like within 12 hours, a glowing response. So I want to kind of break out what I said and did to get that response. Um, and then I'm going to actually, I'm going to take a quick break, and then when we get back, I'm going to just read what I wrote them. Um, I'm not going to read what they, I'll, I'll paraphrase what they wrote back. I think that, you know, because this is public domain and, you know, forum I don't necessarily <laughs> I don't want to like reveal too much about them because that would be that could be kind of sketchy but but I'll at least share my opening that got a response um and then we can kind of dive in and then we can break out what I did wrong what I did right um and also kind of my approach and I'm back that was a nice little break although my coffee's all the way over there okay so here is what I wrote, and be prepared, this is super long. I think we're just going to spend the rest of this podcast talking about submitting for now. So here's what I wrote. Hello there, my friend and longtime colleague, Michael, name redacted, brought your submission for new musicals to my attention, so I figured I'd throw my hat in the ring. Before we go too deep into the reads regarding my pitch for my musical and the infinite, I have a playlist of some select songs from the show to hear via my SoundCloud account. Then I included the link. I figured if you have to go through the arduous task of reading through my ramblings, you'd at least like the opportunity to listen to something not so boring while you do so. Ha ha. And the Infinite is a punkish fairy tale of sorts. It's a show within a show. What I have currently is the actual fairy tale part, already scripted, which I'm attaching. Originally, the musical was just the script I'm sending, retooled as a movie script for Adam Pascal, name drop, haha. But Adam went off to do Disaster on Broadway, and so I've sort of taken the opportunity to really dig deep in the well with the project. At its core, and the infinite tells the story of married couple Sylvia and Tristan, once part of the colossal indie rock band Death of the General. The shorthand description is it's very loosely based on the divorce of Sonic Youth band members Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore. It's about how there is no such thing as infinite when it comes to love and riches. It's about rediscovering and reinventing yourself in the midst of turmoil. 
And then in, because I like to mess with formatting whenever I'm writing an email. So it's in bold, in between two asterisks, and this is where I stop to take a beat. Okay, next paragraph. As you can tell, I get a bit long-winded, but what I have right now, what could in theory be staged today if there was a gun to my head, is a script I'm attaching and 15 songs already scored for piano vocals. And then I explain what the file names are, which I turned into a faux, oh, and then for the vocal score, and then a description, which I turned into a faux Wikipedia page because I'm clearly not right in the head. The reason I'm still working on this, and obviously still in development hell, I'll turn into three digestible pieces parts. One, I'm currently arranging the entire score for string quartet, drums, piano, and guitar, acoustic slash electric. I'm actually a commercial composer and rock producer by trade, so if you want an example of what my previous instrumental arrangements sound like, and then I attach a link to one of my instrumental songs. Two, the hope is to take the two lead actors, Sylvia and Tristan, throw them in the studio, and using method acting and myself at the helm, have them collaborate to create two or three new duets to include in the show. It's a bit of a pipe dream, but would be a unique concept that could be its own behind-the-scenes YouTube series or whatnot. Three, currently working on an extensive rewrite with the play that literally will sit right on top of the script that already exists. This would be through Sophie, Sylvia and Tristan's daughter's point of view, as a 25-year-old battling alcohol addiction and coming to terms with the life she had through her epic parents. Think of it like the Francis Bean Cobain behind the scene, behind the music story. And I figured that's enough of a ramble to either get you excited about this type of show or, and more likely, you find me to be a crazy cat lady who just loves to confuse and annoy people and obviously collect cats. But regardless, I just want to thank you so much for hearing me out, and maybe through all the chaos, there's something there you'd like to further develop and collaborate with me on. Even if this isn't a fit for your 2017 main, main stage, which I completely understand, perhaps this could be something more applicable to a workshop or a more experimental project, sharing on Instagram or YouTube or something of that nature. But with that, I bid you adieu, and I hope to hear from you. And yeah, so, so that's what I wrote. And so let's kind of break this out, right? Because this is a bit to digest. <laughs> so I am, I'm just, I'm wordy. I'm long-winded. Um, I think instead of attempting to quell that, instead of being something that really in all actuality I'm not, I'm just, I'm just being honest. I'm like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ramble. I'm going to be long-winded. Um, and so what I do is, even though I'm a writer because I'm wordy, I'm still using formatting, which you can't see. So I put things in bold, I have numberings, I have um, italics in certain places. Like, like I love font, and I love um, the different font types that you can kind of utilize. So at least visually, when they're reading through what's a very long-winded statement, it, it, visually they can take breaks and they can kind of figure it out. Um, I think some of the things that worked really to my advantage was the fact that right out of the gate, I'm being honest with them, I'm telling them, and by telling them how the show isn't what I want it to be yet, I'm opening the door for two things. The first thing is I'm showing them what I actually need help on 
and I'm showing them what they can bring to the table. And secondly, I'm trying to show them how collaborative I am. I think having a lot of friends that work in theater companies, the biggest complaint I've always heard is that sometimes writers and talent don't respect what the theater company itself is doing and in kind makes it a very hostile work environment where people are very opinionated and strong-headed. And so this email, I'm trying to be very, almost borderline too, maybe it is too, self-deprecating. I'm like, I'm not that guy. I can make fun of myself. I can be humble about my work. And here, I'm gonna just bullet point out three things that I see that need change about my work in order for it to be better. And I think, and that elicited a very positive response. Um, the, the woman that ran that theater company reached out to me and she's like, wow, I have a lot to read. But she's like, I'm digging what I hear. So, so one thing I think works to our advantage is always open with the music first. Um, create, a, create a playlist on SoundCloud, which is free or I have the paid subscription because I also serve, it serves as my repository for podcasts. <laughs> um, so right off the bat, I'm just, I'm introducing myself and I'm going, hey, I'm gonna tell you a story, but first click this playlist link, have it all set up for them. The, the idea is to not make them have to work to experience something that you are pitching to them. So right off the bat, they're hitting the link, they're listening to the music, and they're reading your email. So it's two birds with one stone, right? They're gonna have to read through some of the email anyway. Why not have them listen to their music, your music while they do so? So you're not, you know, you're not fucking wasting any time with them. Because once you have that ball rolling, A, they get to hear your kind of cadence. How do you write as a writer? And that's what's indicative in this email. This isn't, I'm not saying copy and paste what I'm saying because it's gotta be in your words, but they're already getting right out the bat that I'm kind of a fast talking, <laughs> manic, depressive, crazy person. But they're listening to the music and they're seeing how everything kind of ties in. I'm kind of creating a journey through this message. Um, yeah, and I think major critiques probably I would lessen the self-deprecating humor. Um, I'd probably concatenate. I saw a couple of grammatical errors that are driving me crazy right now, but you know, can't turn back time. Um, so yeah, it, that that is what happened. Um, you know what, why not? Because I don't think they're gonna go with me anyway. So I will read what they responded. So, from them, hiya, so it just starts up, TC, exclamation point. Thank you so much for your submission of And the Infinite. I briefly looked at the script and listened to a couple songs, and I have to say, I am hooked, in caps. This concept is super interesting, and being a recovering punk myself, I identify deeply with a lot of these themes. I do have a couple of questions for you before I give you the submission spiel. One, do you live locally in Seattle or out of town? Two, have there been any productions of this piece mounted before? If so, when and where? Three, if we do plan on producing the show, would you be open to workshopping it a bit to fit time requirements, staging restrictions? And then she goes, okay, submission spiel time. Again, thank you so much for submitting to us. I really appreciate being able to read and hear your words. We're continuing to take submissions until November 1st and we'll announce our decision around December or January, 
depending on our collaborations with the selected playwright. I really look forward to being able to finish both the script and music. I'm sure I'll have more questions as I finish. Would it be okay if I send them your way as I explore your text? So, <laughs> right? So that is not something you typically get. Let, let, let's be honest. In the arts, your middle name has to be rejection. Um, I think I get, like when I'm, even like people that have asked me to submit, like even like commercial work, right? Like they want a score for a commercial or a band wants me to produce them. Even when they come to me, there is a 90% rejection rate. And it isn't about you necessarily. It's just they already come in with a very clear vision of what they want or what they're looking for. It isn't about craftsmanship at that point. It's about the foot in the door and having something that they actually want. Um, so in this example, let's kind of break this out a little bit. Clearly, this this person that, that runs this theater company has the same kind of rapport that I have, right? She's She has no problem being honest. She has no problem expressing herself. You know, she she's... This is the type of response you want, right? So I took a shot in the dark, wrote a letter to this company, not knowing who they are, but just being myself, and then I just lucked out. I found someone that actually is kind of like me a little bit, so there is, it opened the door. Um, I'm not going to read my response back because I have not heard back from them since that. Um, this has only been six days ago that this all happened, so so it could very well be they're just reading it, and my manic depressive state kicks in, and I'm like, oh, they hate me. They don't want to do it. But, but I'll be optimistic until they say no. <laughs> um, but let's look at the questions that they're asking, because these are, see, this is a theater company that does it right, right? So they, they, they've got a cursory view of what I've presented them, they're interested, and now they gotta kinda go through some main things, right? The first thing they're asking is, do I live in the Seattle area or do I live abroad? And this is a really important question for a theater company, and the reason they ask this is twofold. One, if I live in the Seattle area, it's very easy for me to work with them because there's no, there's no real commuting, right? I'm right there, I'm at their disposal, so we can figure stuff out easier. Whereas, I live in New York, how are you going to get me the fuck to New York, to Seattle? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so they're also, they're considering that. Also, there are grants, right? Um, local organizations have grants and funding for people within that are residents of that region. So like Washington State, their department, you know, their art, you know, their cultural affairs department have grants and things in place. So if you live in Washington and you're trying to, write a musical, they have grants for those. But only the theater companies can submit for those grants. But in order for the theater company to submit on your behalf, you have to actually live in that area. So those are the two things they're trying to map out. Logistically, how is this thing going to work? And the second point is also something that's going to be standard. Have you already produced this? You know, No one wants to be the practice girl before prom. But more importantly, no one wants to get sloppy seconds. So, so you, there's this sweet spot where they want to know that you've at least demoed the material, that you've like at least the songs have been performed in some nature, but at the same time, they don't want it already workshopped or produced. 
because that kind of, I mean, that ruins the whole process, right? If they're doing something that's already been produced, especially if it was already produced in New York and they're a Seattle-based company, they can't, they could say it's a West Coast premiere, but they can't really say it's a world premiere. I mean, that's what theater, com theater companies want one of two things. They want to either say they were the first theater company to workshop material, or they're going to be the world premiere of that project. In my case, it works out because I kind of fit into both places. It hasn't been workshopped, and thusly it has never been produced. It's still all in my head. Um, yeah, and let me see here. And then the third one was just her being honest. She's like, hey, this is a rough around the edges script. Would you be open to workshopping it before producing it? You know, and of course, that's exactly what I'm looking for. You know, I <laughs> so so I pretty elated up that. Um, yeah, and then you know she had the regular spiel, and she was like, "Hey, if I have questions, blah blah blah." Um, I think where I came off the rails is I got overly excited when I read that message, and I may have come off a little bit crazier than I should just because sometimes me being overly enthusiastic can come off the wrong way. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm gonna save that for a different time. But but yeah, so, so this is the way this discussion is supposed to happen. This is ideally, um, but again, in my experience, this is not usually the case. Usually you will submit something, it will be a couple of months, and then all of a sudden you'll hear the rejection, which will be the stock rejection that they send everyone on the roster. Um, you know, <clears throat> in, this in, in this instance, they were, they happened to be sub accepting submissions. Um, didn't really know that fully going into it. I didn't even know the theater company going into it. But my buddy Michael, I've known for 12, 13 years, he and I both worked at La Jolla Playhouse together for, well, for me, for a very brief stint before I was fired. <laughs> Punk Tyler. Um, but, yeah. Uh, sweet, now I'm remembering stories I can't say. Uh, <laughs> um, but, so I knew off his word that this was legitimate. Um, then I happened to do my research, which you should always do, do your due research. And it's just, it's a small theater company trying to produce stuff and they're going about it the right way. So I will, I will more than, I'll be glad to tell you that, so again, the theater company's name is Copious Amounts of Love um, and they're based in the Seattle region. And it just seems like one of those kind of like, they're, they've got spunk, they've got moxie. Like it just looks like a company that would be really fun to work with. Um, so I guess that, so I just wanna, I want to throw in the caveat it was a submission process, um, but there were two major facets to this. The first one is I didn't have to pay a fee. I didn't have to pay shit. I mean, all of this I did on my own. I just wrote an email, sent some links. I made sure everything was nice and pretty and I gave it to them. Uh, the, the, the second point is I didn't go in with the expectation of winning the submission prize. I didn't go in with them expecting to just mount this outright. And you should never expect that. Um, musicals are a very expensive endeavor for a theater company to produce, even if you yourself have the rights and can just print the scores out for them. You know, musicians, 
actors, actors equity, you know, musicians have their own labor union, which I've been blacklisted from many times in my career. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, they also have to fit in on the main stage or even in a workshop space. It, there are a lot of logistics that they have to take care of. So always be respectful and mindful of that. They're not going to go, oh, okay, this is going on the main stage. They're going to look at it first and then they're going to make an appropriate decision based on what they have and what they think they can achieve with you. But it was still a pretty good fucking like opening foot in the door thing. Uh, so yeah, I think I think we've run through our allotted time as a podcast. I'm getting a little tired. I think I think we can call this one good to go. Uh, didn't do any talkie about Sparkle Pony Bear, and I'm sorry about that. Um, Bunch of exciting stuff down the pike. Um, I have a drummer currently taking a look at the opening track I demoed with Roy Flores. So he's starting to pull that apart and kind of give me some feedback and, and stuff to refine that and add drums to it. Um, I'm working on the second song, which is really cool. And it will be an entire podcast episode um, because... The second song is actually a duet between Sparkle Pony Bear Kevin and Topher's mother. <laughs> but I'm writing it in such a way that it sounds more like just a more kind of like Death Cab for Cutie-like duet. But it's within the verses and the melodics that I kind of throw some kinks in there. So that it's one of those songs that kind of have like 500 different meanings if you don't. You know, it's like Seal's uh, Kiss from the Rose, right? No one fucking knows what that song is. Everyone hypothesizes and Seal's really smart. He refuses to tell anyone. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that we've got that coming down the pike. So we've got plenty more to discuss later on. But for right now, I think... Yeah, uh, I don't even know what opening and ending songs I'm going to choose, so bear with me um, and listen to whatever is at the end of this. All right, Crispy Crispy Taco. Self to be, cause here it comes again. 
Here it is.